Climbing to the cockpit with pilot and Link Square's Chief Legal Officer, Tim Perilla, as he invites legal leaders aboard to share advice that will help you navigate even the most turbulent times of in-house counsel work. We'll cover a range of topics from data privacy to legal team structure to public company transactions and beyond. You don't want to miss this series. Fasten your seatbelt and prepare for takeoff. You're listening to Cockpit Council. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Cockpit Council. My name's Tim. I'm the Chief Legal Officer at Link Squares. Uh, as always, we have our producer, Alyssa Verzino. And today joining us, the Chief Legal Officer of HotelPlanner.com, we have Leticia Pelota Rodriguez. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited. We start out every episode exactly the same way. Uh, it is a pilot-themed podcast. Uh, what is your pre-flight ritual? I don't fly often, but when I do, I there's not much of a ritual, I would say. I just think I get there excessively early because I'm afraid that I'm just going to miss the flight. Anything could happen, especially with South sure. Florida traffic. Sure. So I try to get there early, get through TSA and just sit down at the gate and just work or do some just some things to pass time, even if, you know, if it's extra early, uh, because I just want to make sure I get on the flight. So I don't know that I would say that's a ritual, but that's what I tend to do when I get on. I think on it's flight. I think it's ritualistic enough, I'd say. So. <laughs> uh, Letty, let's talk about your career path. Uh, take us through what what brought you to HotelPlanner.com. Uh, maybe go as far back as law school. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a long time ago already. Right. That's 20 years ago. I graduated in 03. Okay. Uh, and I started out clerking for a judge for about a year. And then at my practice started in a very small boutique law office in Miami, practicing just general civil litigation. I was with that particular firm for four years. Within those four years, I transitioned from litigation into bankruptcy. And then I decided that if I was practicing this area of law for a firm, I could probably do it for myself. So I ended up going on my own and I started my own practice in 08 and okay. I was on my own for eight years. And I did a mix of bankruptcy, some litigation. I did some estate planning and other transactional work um, as well. So I, I was I was solo for for about eight years. Um, and during that time, uh, we were relocating out of Miami into Palm Beach, which is about two counties north. And at the time, I thought maybe I would just expand my practice into Palm Beach and just generate clients there, keep some of the clients that I had in Miami. Uh, but this this company at the time that was back in 2016, they were looking for their first in-house legal counsel. And I felt like nice. it was one of these opportunities that fell on my lap, that if I hadn't take it, taken it on, I may not see it again. Um, right. And so I, I just opted to transition into uh, general counsel practice and slowly wound down my solo practice. And I've been with Hotel Planner ever since. That's awesome. So what uh, what kind of bankruptcy were you doing? Were you doing a lot of like workouts or uh, that's an interesting background to have going in house. Would love to hear a little bit about that. 
Sure. So it was a lot of chapter seven and chapter 13 debtor representation. Okay. Occasionally I represented creditors, but the majority of my bankruptcy practice was debtor representation. And in fact, it was one of the things that coupled with my experience being a solo practitioner and having my own law firm that I was told by the hotel planner C-suite team that was something that they thought was very invaluable to them and what they liked about me the most. Um, and at the time, the way the company was set up um, in terms of their business strategy, you know, we're a travel technology company. So we partner with a lot of hotels um, worldwide and our bread and butter for the majority of, of the years since they've been open, which was back in 2003. In fact, we're, we're celebrating 20 years at Hotel Planner um, was group reservations and they would get paid referral fees for sending group reservations into the hotels on the back end. And sometimes hotels didn't pay. So the fact that I had the bankruptcy aspect of it, the creditor, the debtor work experience, they felt like that was valuable to them for purposes of trying to help them facilitate more payments from these hotels. Um, and so that's what led me initially to hotel planner and becoming their in-house general counsel. But then it's evolved to something so much bigger than that. I mean, we're, we're such a global company. We have offices, um, not just domestic, but overseas. We have in Asia as well. And so the, the business has tremendously grown within the last seven years that I've been on board with them. That's awesome. How, uh, how big is the company in terms of number of employees? So I would say about 100 or 120 full-time employees, okay. but we do have a, a gig economy. Yeah. Uh, so the gig economy, that's just independent contractors, remote work agents um, that we um, have working on our reservation side. So when people call in or they want to schedule a reservation or book a hotel reservations, we have these individuals that help them do that. Oh, that's cool. That's a very cool, uh, very cool approach to doing that. It has certainly evolved. It's something that we developed uh, within the last two, three years. Um, certainly COVID was a pivotal point for so many companies, especially in the travel industry. And so we had to significantly pivot from group uh, to individual reservations. And so that kind of led us to this gig economy, uh, which is now, you know, it's, it's, it's been a major component in the business aspect for Hotel Planner. Very cool. So how big is your legal team? It's me. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. We do have outside counsel that we uh, retain occasionally depending on the project, but um, I am chief legal officer and I handle the day-to-day -day and I handle any anything really that the company requires from, from a legal perspective. That's awesome. That's a lot of fun. A, a lot of work for one person to do though. It's a lot of work. There's a lot of areas, as I mentioned, that you know I've evolved so much as an attorney, as a professional, having this particular position because I came in for one thing and then it's kind of grown into this this other area and I've had to absorb and be receptive to growth in areas that I wasn't necessarily uh, experienced in. Um, so there was a, a learning curve, but then there was a lot of things that, you know, just helped me professionally. And then I also know when to ask for help when needed um, yeah. to serve the client. The best ultimately hotel planner is my client. And so you know, as, as much as I would like to say, I know everything, I don't know everything. So sometimes <laughs> I do need help. Um, and so, you know, when, when that's required, you know, we get the help that we need to help us yeah. achieve uh, what the goals are for a specific project. 
Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of uh, we, we talk a lot on the show about the transition from a law firm or non in-house practice into an in-house role. Can you talk just a little bit about uh, about how you found that transition to be? I feel like it's completely changed my life, both professionally and personally. I've learned so much. I've grown so much as a professional, as an attorney. We are a global company, something that I wasn't necessarily privy to before in my solo practice. I was very much siloed in my local community when I was a, a solo practitioner, and that's certainly not the case being chief legal officer of a travel technology, a global travel technology company. Um, not to mention the team I think is extraordinary and my fellow C-suite members and the rest of the team at Hotel Planner, the employees, I mean, they've they've been so welcoming, they've been so helpful in allowing me to learn the business and, and provide them and be collaborative and provide with my ideas and my counsel um, when they've needed it. And so it's, it's been a great, great experience having transitioned. Um, it would be really hard for me to go back yeah. to the, the private practice. I think now having experienced what it's like to work as general counsel for a company and, and that's a testament to, to the organization and, and to, um, and to the group that I work with. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so talking about the C-suite, how did you go about building those relationships? It sounds like you already had some relationship with with the folks there uh, coming in. How did you really solidify those relationships as you as you came into the role? We're just a tight group. I mean, we're all on each other's speed dial. I mean, we didn't really have much of a choice but to work together. I mean, we were growing the company together. And so um, the CFO had just been... Um, installed or appointed a couple of months before I was onboarded as the, as the CLO. So it was just something that was a natural progression of the company. And we all just collaborate almost on a daily basis um, with whatever needs of the business um, is required uh, to push the business forward. So it, I feel like just over time, you just create those relationships and just by being together daily in the office um, and just need based. I mean, you have to talk to these people to get the needle moving forward for the business. And so it was just something that was natural. Um, yeah, that we created. That's awesome. That's awesome. So when you when when you when you first started working with these folks, um, what were some of the challenges that that you feel like you had to overcome? Uh, whether it's like, it sounds like from a relationship perspective, it was very, very easy and very natural, which is great, right? Uh, from a professional perspective, did you see an evolution in the way that you think about your practice? I just, I needed to learn the business. Um, it was a different business style. It wasn't something that I was familiar with in private practice. It was a completely different um model uh, i was coming from you know purely legal uh mostly bankruptcy as i mentioned and representing different clients here i was coming now transitioning to representing one client and learning their business model and learning how they function on a day-to-day -day and not only providing purely legal um counsel but also collaborating from a business side too uh, and, you know, giving my opinion and what do you think about this? And 
so it, it's it's certainly evolved to not just legal, but more more business collaboration and how to help the company in its growth and how to progress. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds and it sounds like obviously a very cross functional role that you play. How do you work across different business units, and what are some what are some ways that that you think um, maybe are less obvious that that you found to be effective? I, I don't know. I feel like uh, again, I'm 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 with these guys all the time, you know in the office all the time and we're popping into each other's offices all the time. We're constantly talking to each other. It's never been a struggle in terms of creating that cross functionality. I've, I've never seen it challenging. I mean, certainly we have opinions um, of, of how to, you know, handle certain things. But aside from that, I mean, the, the actual collaborative effort of working together, I, I feel like it's been, it's it's been great um you know there's a lot of back and forth and there's a lot of input from the ceo uh the the ci the co-founders of the company are very much involved um the chief operating officer bruce rosenberg i work with him daily um we talk to each other all the time and so i i i don't feel like in terms of communication there's ever been a challenge that's good that's good have you found that there have been challenges around alignment amongst different business stakeholders? In in how to approach a specific uh, path, I mean, yeah. we all have different ideas, and we kind of right. just talk through it, and then we 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 pick <laughs> we pick the one that works best, or that right. we think might work best, and just take that path. And if it's not the right choice, then we 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 circle back, and then we talk about it again. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like you have a very healthy organization, which is, which is actually relatively unique, believe it or not. Okay. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, That's awesome. I, I mean, our, our team is a great team. And um, I'm very lucky. Uh, the, the co founders, uh, Tim Henschel and John Prince, the CEO and the CIO, his chief information officer. I mean, they're great people to work for. Bruce Rosenberg, chief operating officer. He's he is the individual that I work with the the most on a day to day basis. I mean, he's operations, he's leading operations, and we talk all the time uh, about different aspects of the business. And then, of course, our CFO. Um, so we do have a very close team. We're very tight. We, you know, we, we, there's never a moment that one of us is not talking to each other about something. That's awesome. That's a great environment. And I can see why you're having as much fun there as you are. Yeah. So obviously outside counsel become a part of your team in some capacity or the next, what are some, what are some tips that you have for folks on how to best work with your outside attorneys? Sure. Uh, we've also been very lucky um, to have, you know, created relationships with outside law firms. I think, you know, for me, what I've learned, it's been not one size fits all. So not one outside counsel may be the right fit for a particular project that you might need to work on. Uh, and so you just have to uh, determine, you know, the needs of the company. Uh, the budget is very important as well when you're retaining outside counsel and pick and choose, have have a, a 
an arsenal of outside counsel, if you will, um, where you can pick and choose, okay, who's the right person for this particular job? Because it's not always the same people that might be the right fit. And that's what I've learned uh, mostly when, when managing outside counsel. Yeah, that's, uh, that's the way that I approach it too, is try to, try to, I also try to hire lawyers, not firms, right? Like there are definitely partners that I've followed from firm to firm, um, who I've found that I, I work really, really well with, uh, and they help make my job easier, which is, right. <laughs> which is, well, which very is pretty important critical. Too. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, that's being able to get your sort of your your bench of people that you need to call upon when you need that really specialized knowledge is really important. And I'm, as a general counsel, you're going to be exposed to so many areas of law that you're not necessarily um, you know, extremely knowledgeable in. I mean, you know, when we all get out of law school and we start working and we a lot of us you know, tend to pick a certain path and that's the path that we kind of stick with. Uh, general counsels tend to have uh, uh, options, you know, many, many things are thrown at them on a daily basis. And so um, that's also important to determine when you need the help of someone else that's not in house, that yeah. may be the specialist of this particular area where you might not be able serve your client in the best capacity because you don't know a lot about it. So that's when you tend to go outside. Yeah, exactly. That uh, missing that level of expertise is is something that I find <laughs> happens to me quite often. I, I mean, my background, I've been fortunate enough to be in house my entire career. And um, and most of the things that I've picked up have been just sort of uh, the things that one would imagine GC spend the majority of their time doing. And so uh, probably overwhelmingly for me, it's been on the commercial side. Uh, but, you know, with that, you get the flavors of corporate, you get IP and all sorts of uh, all sorts of different aspects that you have to at least be conversant in um, enough to know that you don't have the expertise that you need when you spot a particular issue. That's, that's right. That's the way that that I've always that I've always looked at it is like, all right, as long as I know enough to be dangerous, then I know when I'm being dangerous and when to call somebody else. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm. I'm the first one that says, guys, I think we need to talk to somebody else about this. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it brings it brings a lot of credibility as well, which is like within within your team, right? Within your C-suite to be able to raise your hand and say, this is beyond what I need, but I'm going to go figure it out and come right. back. Right. Right. Nice. I mean, there's some things that that I could figure out. Uh, that I've, I've been in the business, you know, long enough where I am like, okay, I think I can take, take this on. But then there's other things that might require, uh, uh, uh more expertise. And that's when you, you have to know when to ask for help on that, on the, those occasions. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That was a great, that was a great answer. And that's a really good takeaway for any legal team of one. Another subject that we had wanted to talk about as a legal team of one is how to balance it all um, professionally when you're the only legal voice in the room and then also you're your only teammate. So do you have any thoughts on balance? You know, I, the company's been very good about, you know, 
being flexible. I mean, in general, generally speaking, um, certainly pre-pandemic, we were in the office every day. Post-pandemic, that changed. And we've continued on with the philosophy of so long as you get your job done, it really doesn't matter where you are. But I have been reverting back to the office because it's nice to have that camaraderie, that face-to-face. -face. It's it's not the same when you're not there. Um, but I am fortunate that I, I believe that I do have a very nice work-life balance. Like, for example, I'm working remotely today because my daughter didn't have school. <laughs> so I'm able to do that. And, and, and the company, you know, I, I'm able to do my work and also be a mom. And so, I mean, that's, that is one of the aspects for me that has been life-changing in this particular role, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, unfortunately, sometimes in private practice, you don't get. Yeah. How has your company looked at sort of that hybrid that hybrid environment. Obviously, you said doesn't matter where you are as long as uh, as long as you get your job done. But have you seen some desire to to get a little bit more of that in office camaraderie? It's not mandatory. Sure. Cer certainly, it's it's encouraged, especially when we have special occasions. But uh, you know, the encouragement is really lies behind you know team you know just working just working together um, and wherever that may be, whatever makes you feel comfortable, um, that would be fine with the company. And we've always had a remote workforce even prior to the pandemic. So it's not foreign to the company. I mean, again, we have uh, overseas uh, employees and you know, not everyone goes into the office overseas. And so there was a work, a remote workforce, certainly not as large as it is today. Uh, but certainly on occasions, you know, when we want to celebrate together, like recently for Halloween or other special occasions, we're celebrating our 20 year anniversary. Those are the moments where we all like to see each other face to face and we do celebrate together. Uh, but on the day to day, the office is open. If you want to come in, you can go in. And if and if you need to work from home, that's okay too. That's awesome. That's that's nice. We have uh, here. We have you know more or less most people are in three days a week, mm. um, and some teams are it's mandated, uh, which which works, uh, and others it's actually discretion. But it usually works out that people like want to be here, mm -hmm. you know, anywhere from two to four days a week, which is pretty great. Definitely. I feel like I agree with you too, where it's, if you're in person with people, like that relationship comes more naturally. I know you were saying that you have a very natural relationship with the C-suite and I think it's on any team, like even me on the marketing team, I feel so much more comfortable coming over to Tim's team and asking about a contract that I requested, right. walking over to their desk, than slacking them four times in a day when I'm at home. That's true. I agree with that. It's nice to have a little bit of both. Right. Do you have any tips for somebody listening that maybe is new at a company and is trying to build those relationships and it's a hybrid, hybrid setup? Just be receptive and be open um, is all the advice that I can give and just be available and just work hard, have a good work ethic. I think as long as you have good work ethic, um, it shouldn't matter where you are. 
um, because your work product will ultimately show if you don't. So um, I would just say, you know, keep your head down and focus on on the job and, and just be receptive to um, and be engaged with your team members and, and your superiors. And hopefully you'll you'll create that relationship as well. That's yeah. great advice. Yeah. Talking about a strong work ethic, what I've found is that a lot of people with strong work ethics don't stop working. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about how you set boundaries. So that's also a good point, like a counterpoint to the flexibility aspect of, of work because you're right, there are moments when I know that I'm working from home and I tend to get on my computer <laughs> much earlier than if I were have to commute into the office and I'm on the computer much later than if I had to commute back home. And so there are instances where that could happen. Uh, but I, I just, you know, I, you know, I see it as I'm here to help the company grow and I, I like to be able to make myself available when the company needs me to be available. Yeah, makes makes perfect sense. Any any health and wellness tips that you have for folks who are, I mean, obviously, legal team of one, you got a you got a massive amount of responsibility. How do you really focus on yourself in those times when you're not working? So I work out daily. I work out at home because it's just the most convenient way for me to get it done. Yeah, uh, I do it first thing in the morning and I get it out of the way because I feel like it sets the tone for the rest of my day. And I always find that when I do that, it it whatever I thought may be problematic in my mind, it, I have much more perspective on the other end of a workout. And so I think clearer. I I'm right. I'm ready to tackle the day, you know. I, I feel better about myself. And so um, that has been a habit that I've created for myself. Um, really not, not maybe about a year before I started working for Hotel Planner, but it's been very consistent since I've been with the company. Um, it's just something that I, I now it's, it's become part of my life. And of course, coupled with, you know, try to eat well, drink my supplements, you know, try to hydrate all that stuff. But, um, but yeah, I, I work out every day before my day starts. And, and that makes me, makes me feel so much better about the day. Yeah. I like, I like that, uh, the way you describe it, because it does set the tone for the day. Right. You know that if absolutely nothing else, you've accomplished something that's good for your body right out of the right out of the gate. Right. That's right. Awesome. Great. Well, we can um, segue into some rapid fire questions if you'd like. So the first one is, what is your hot take on working in-house? So there, there's going to be a lot thrown at you when you're working in-house. So just try to absorb as much as you can and be receptive. Um, but also know when to ask for help if you need to ask for help. Awesome. Great answer. And you've given a lot of tips throughout the episode, but what would your number one tip be for a legal team of one? I just, you know, just be engaged and open. Um, I feel like I'm saying a lot of the same thing, but I don't know. <laughs> I, I feel like that's kind of like the running theme throughout, you know, how I've, I've tackled 
this particular position. Um, and know that you can't do it alone. And so you just have to um, be honest about that because there's nothing wrong with not knowing every single area of law in the <laughs> world. And so uh, understanding that and, and, and um, you know, growing and learning where you can. And then again, I, again, the same theme, knowing when to ask for help if you need help. That's great. And then how do you manage your workload and prioritize tasks as a legal team of one? So primarily, it's it's not a, a rule that's set in stone, but I, I always take whatever the C-suite team needs to get done for the day as priority. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that changes, you know, on a day-to-day basis. And there might not be something in particular that needs to get done on a day-to-day basis from, from a C-suite member, but that's how I kind of organize my day depending on what they need. Mm-hmm. And then everything else kind of just flows from there. There's, so that's, that's how I do it. I mean, there's no rule that I follow. Mm-hmm. Every day is different, mm-hmm. but that's, that's primarily how I manage my day. Like, okay, who are the emails that I need to read first? <laughs> and everybody else after that. I'm sure the C- C-suite enjoys that too. <laughs> <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. All right, lastly, what networking tips do you have for a legal team of one, externally or internally? Yeah, so very early on in my career, I was all about networking. For obvious reasons, I was a solo practitioner, so I kind of had to be out there selling myself. Um, And I was involved in a lot of professional organizations. When I transitioned into in-house counsel, um, I I didn't do a lot of networking um, when I transitioned. And what I I have done more recently as I volunteered my time in more charitable organizations um, that were personal to me. So for example, uh, just two years ago, I became um, an executive leadership council member for Autism Speaks, our local chapter at Autism Speaks. I have a personal connection to Autism Speaks. My daughter is autistic. And so I felt like it just made the most sense for me at this time in my my career to give of myself to a a volunteer organization. And so, um, and Hotel Planner has been pivotal in, in my contribution to that particular organization. And um, we've, we've sponsored events with the organization. And I've, through, through my involvement and contribution with that organization, then I've met other people in other industries. And there's been, you know, synergies, uh, potential synergies between our company and other companies that I may not have had had it not been for my involvement with the organization. So that's what I've been doing as of late in terms of networking, I guess, if you will. That's awesome. And if anybody wants to go and help out, uh, help contribute in some way or another, Autism Speaks, where can they go? Sure. So we actually have a walk team that we set up um, on behalf of my daughter. It's called We Walk for Vivi. Um, And the autismspeaks.org website, uh, there's a local walk in any jurisdiction in any area, but we are located in Palm Beach. And so we have our local walk that's scheduled for March 3rd, 2024. And Hotel Planner is part of that as well. So we're kind of like gearing up and we have a few months to go, but we're starting to gear up and and um, engage with our fundraising efforts uh, on that front. Uh, and so it's uh, Autism Speaks 
dot org forward slash we walk for Vivi is is the website in case anyone might be interested. <laughs> That's awesome. And we can probably get that in the in the description. Definitely. Uh, when the, when. Yes. Yeah. When we air, of course. Yeah. yeah. Let's make let's make sure we do that. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cockpit Council. Uh, if you liked what you heard, please follow us on the socials. Give us a like and we'll see you next time. Thank you.